This is our 25th episode. Can you believe it? That is quite impressive. So if you count the lightning rounds, we're more... We're through half a year, aren't we? Past the halfway point. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if the, the lightning rounds count. <laughs> oh, they count to something. Anyway. <laughs> they don't count to the numbering, though, so that's not... It's, so we've actually done 27 episodes. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. Right. Have, have, we, have we said the origin story before, previously? Uh, we might have mentioned it. I'm not sure. So Tom's talking about the origin story of our podcast... And this week's question is, was what originally got me started with the idea of doing this podcast? Um, Because I was the one who recruited Tom. um, Because I I sent him a very short clip of me, I think doing possibly this question on my own. And he said, nah, sounds rubbish. (laughs) No, I don't think that's quite fair. I saw that you'd... Yeah, I don't know if recruited is even the right word because you sent me just a thing that you'd done, you'd been working on. You'd, about, yeah, it was about three or four minutes of you talking about whether you need, well, asking this question. And I had a listen and didn't want to be left out. So I muscled my way in. <laughs> <laughs> With lots of sensible and reasonable arguments, I think. I, was a, yeah. <laughs> I think I made a good case. I glazed over it as a recruitment. <laughs> yeah, I was just, it was a, I was just sat on my own. I had a nice, did put on some funny voice at the beginning. Welcome to a question of code. Yeah, I think Sorry that was <laughs> that was what did it for me. That was what made me think I needed to be involved because I've done I've done a little bit of podcasting in the past and some, done some kind of recording and student radio and things. And one thing I learned too late for, to help me, but soon enough to, to help you was that talking to yourself I find really really weird, and I could hear you doing all the same little weird ticks that I would do, um, like putting on a slightly different voice and like losing. Like, without the conversational aspect like just the just the volume almost of your voice changes and the way that you speak but when you're actually talking to someone else you talk much more naturally yes uh, and originally they were the, i was going to have them about five minutes long um <laughs> i don't know short snappy sorts yeah. of things how long were the but, let me have a look let me have a look how our first ones were because we didn't start out well the, i think the first one was current. about 15 minutes yeah and then they just crept longer and longer didn't they so the question that got me all, got me started on this was, do you need to be good at maths to become a programmer? And this was something I thought was the case. The people who I spoke to who weren't programmers thought this was the case and suggested I do this. I even got to the stage of buying a A-level maths book, which is A-level in the UK, if you're from the US, is kind of like your exams just before you go to university. So I went. I, I kind of went back and thought, right, I need to sort out my maths. So or math. Um, so I bought a maths book and started working through that. <laughs> so what's in what's in an A level maths book? Is that is that calculus? Is it, uh, I can't I can't remember. Is it all it quadratic <laughs> equations? Two years ago, and I, <laughs> I I stopped fairly sharpish. But you could you if you wish you may. We'll put a link in the show notes to the syllabus of the. Uh, AS level maths. <laughs> Oof. For, for the masochists it, out there. <laughs> I didn't I don't I have nothing against maths. Um I quite enjoy it sometimes. Um I think it gets a bad rep from people who don't know exactly what it is. I'm reading at the moment a book called The Art of Logic and the lady that's written it is uh, doing a PhD in maths and she was saying how um maths is not what you learn in the classroom generally the real maths is when you get to 
when you finally get to PhD level, that's when the it starts becoming more like research as opposed to well, that's what PhDs are, isn't it? But yeah, more they say they say that about exploratory. <laughs> say that about learning physics as well, don't they? I imagine so. Yeah. yeah. So, all, so all, all every, everything comes back to it's like learning to drive. It, you never you don't really learn until you've you're out in the real world. <laughs> <laughs> is a PhD a real world? the real world? <laughs> the real world for an academic discipline. Yeah, I don't I guess. guess. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, she said it was more talk about remembering all that stuff is kind of pointless. Well, not pointless, but hmm. is not the main meat of what maths is. No, but I, I that, took that was not what I was working on. <laughs> <laughs> I took some pleasure from watching a talk by Marcus de Sotoy, the Cambridge maths professor and educator who has loads of radio programs and TV shows and books. And I heard him say that he he's terrible at mental arithmetic. He can't add up <laughs> for toffee. He always uses a calculator. Um, yeah. Well, we've got them now, haven't we? Why why do you need to learn your times tables? Yeah, we're just out. Yeah, I think that's what computers are. Just outsourcing. My the RAM of my brain to somewhere else. Um, so use that use that space for something else. I heard some developers talking about that recently, saying how uh, they just Google, they just outsource everything to Google. Yeah, <laughs> and Stack oh. Overflow. Yeah, I feel like that sometimes. It was a uh, it was actually the Go Go Time podcast from the Changelog company, um, and they were talking about jobs and hiring. Surprise, surprise! I've been listening to <laughs> things about that. <laughs> well, sensible. Um, yeah. yeah, and they were saying how. In some job interviews, they were just talking about whether you're able to Google in a job interview. One of the women on there had been interviewed by Google, and they wouldn't let you Google no. <laughs> a job interview yeah. with Google. That seems unrepresentative of what the job is going to be. Yeah, that, that's what I, mean. I, don't, I don't. I know nothing about that scenario. But they were yeah. talking about whiteboard interviews, things like that. Mm-hmm. But we've done. We've we've covered that. So, mm. but that I suppose is quite a key thing to our question today isn't it that the difference between like this conceptual like pseudocode that you would write on a whiteboard versus the semantic specifics and the grammar of a specific language is equivalent to knowing your times tables off by heart versus being able to construct an algorithm or do some calculus (laughs) know what to be asking rather than how to ask it yeah did you say about the syntax as well yeah because i disagree with that i agree with maybe If you you want to find the best like binary search algorithm mm-hmm. written in a certain language, Google that. Fine, but I think you need to be able to. If you're writing code, you can't just be copying and pasting everything. You need to be able to fluently be able to write in a. It's like speaking. If I couldn't speak English and I had to look up every word, if you're speaking to someone that doesn't speak English and is using a translator, it doesn't come out the same. Generally, it will come out wrong. Meaning can get lost. I I, I disagree with the syntax part of it. Yeah, but if someone is writing something out and they have spent the last like week working in a PHP program, and they write a, they use a full stop to concatenate two strings together rather than a plus, which they should be using if they're writing a JavaScript program. I wouldn't necess- I wouldn't if I was in an interview scenario looking at someone who had done that. I wouldn't go, ah, you've you've made a very silly mistake. You'd you point it out and you say, oh, look, context switching is hard. Keeping two different languages at once in your mind is hard. That kind of thing happens. But then there's also like the difference between like passing an integer in different languages, like turning a string into an integer. Lots of different languages have a function that will do that. And if you know them all, like, why bother? I mean, if you use it all the time, you're going to have to, like, remember it. But if it's something... I'm trying to think of a more esoteric example that you don't necessarily use every day. Like, if it wasn't for uh, code completion in my thing, I would never, ever be able to write a for loop. I don't think I I could do that from memory. (laughs) 
for i <laughs> equals zero. Uh, for, for i, sorry, I for I'm in agreement. <laughs> um, well, okay, maybe let, we're let, thinking about far. let not for. Maybe we're thinking about sorry. <laughs> maybe we're thinking about uh, the wrong. Maybe the, our definition of syntax is not the same as each other. I'm just thinking about the general kind of where your parentheses go, how where where you indent things. Hmm. I mean, obviously, indentation is not that important in most languages, other than well. Python. It's not essential in most languages, other than Python, I believe, um, where white space counts. I'm I just thinking if you're writing some code. You can't be look every five seconds. It's going to slow you down, isn't it? If you don't at least have like a base knowledge of uh, what, what yeah, you're working I think on. That, a, yeah, I think maybe we're. I, I kind of described a scenario where someone was googling something every every word. I don't. That's not what I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of someone's writing something and they want to go. Oh, how do I check for like type of something equals null? How do I like what's the syntax for that? Google that to to be double doubly sure. I think that's fine. I can agree with you there that there are certain things that small little things that you will do in your code that you can look up and is not a problem. I was just thinking more generally. And like if I tried, if I tried writing PHP, I would start having to Google every single <laughs> word <laughs> and mm. it would be extremely slow and mm. pointless. <laughs> yeah. I suppose if I had to do JavaScript on a whiteboard, I'd, I'd probably do all right, I think. But I would not be I would not be hundred percent sure that I wouldn't make stupid typos and get things the parameters the wrong way around and mess up standard library kind of stuff. Yeah. Not that not that there is a standard library in JavaScript, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you wouldn't have to answer any equations, would you, if you were <laughs> writing some code. <laughs> yeah. To repaint the picture, you're casting around for something to do, like with your life, conceptually. And you've think maths is a good path you're looking at a maths book what happens next you're not a mathematician now hmm. well it wasn't i didn't just do maths and not do any coding i was doing like half of my time learning maths half of my time doing some coding so you were, you specifically started doing like looking into mathematics because you thought it would be useful to the programming stuff they were kind of tied together it wasn't yeah oh, i could go down either path it was these are part of one objective i read some things at the time saying how it is important to have a base level of maths and they like pointed out certain subjects or uh, not subjects certain areas of maths that would be more useful um in coding and could help you get along but my problem was as someone who was working full time as i keep going on about um was that that was taking away from being able to learn the coding part of it i felt like i was spending so much time trying to get good at maths that i was not getting as good at coding as quickly as the maths and the stuff i was doing at the time in the coding didn't involve any maths other than addition uh, some addition subtraction i did like modulo got me confused for a while the modulo <laughs> operator um but once you figured out like those basics it's it's all well they all it all starts at a half adder doesn't it <laughs> Well, even that, I mean, when do you have to know the binary to put together an adder, half or otherwise? Okay. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's very rare that abstract mathematical concepts come, like, filter through. I think when you get more advanced in the maths, things change. I think, like, proper calculus comes into play when you start doing, like, neural networks and, like, back-propagating of cost functions and things. Is it linear algebra? 
apparently yes. that is something that is useful. But I'm not yes. very good at algebra. Yeah. And that also <laughs> ties into like when you're doing graphics things, so anything that involves matrices, 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 yeah, um, and multiplying them, uh, various things, like knowing the basics of linear algebra is is useful to that, um, uh, particularly when you're sort of manipulating things in 3D space, having... Like knowing how to yeah, combine matrices or transform matrices is very useful. And then linear algebra is an important part of that. And also um, it crosses my path most in like abstract concepts around the idea of functional programming, um, which deals a lot with well, the, the principles behind it are very heavily steeped in what's called lambda calculus um, by some fella called, I think that was put together by some guy called Alonzo, it was Church. I think it was Alonzo, Alonzo Church. And um, we've got in the show notes, uh, not in the show notes, but in our prep notes, we're going to do a, an episode on functional programming, I think, because it seems to come up quite a lot. I talk about it a lot, <laughs> certainly. Every, so your functional programming is my CS50. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's my exorcism IA or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it. You're right. There you go. It's stuck in your mind, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there we go. Um, so, yeah, I think we might do a whole episode on that. That might be fun. But that's like the core principle of that is you have what in mathematical terms is a function um, and it's a pure function so it takes uni unary takes in a single input always returns the same output um, so those principles are used as the kind of building blocks for some of the concepts behind functional programming um, so I come across like that side of maths in that aspect but I'm not actually having to write out mathematical mathematical notation or do equations quote unquote yeah, I don't think I'm missing out by not having like formal maths training beyond school. Um, mm. You talk about lambda a lot. Uh, just made me think of you have lambda functions in Python, and I think you said lambda function in one word. <laughs> just made me think of that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's anything to do with. Does that look anything like a functional sort yes, of? Absolutely, it thing? is. Yeah, that that is uh, that's sort of composing. Two sort of putting two unary things into a thing. Yeah. Uh, so just <laughs> just for reference, I've sent Tom a message saying x equals lambda a colon a plus ten, and then you can use x as a function. So if you yeah. put x mm -hmm. five, it would five plus ten. Yeah. That's uh, so. That's it's interesting to see that in a different language where it actually has to be kind of called out. That's kind of how JavaScript behaves, sort of in its own. But that's an effectively an 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 anonymous function isn't it yes exactly right it. yeah exactly right yeah so that would be it in javascript um okay so tom has now written in the javascript version of that is x equals and then well oh, it's an a fat, arrow yeah arrow, a fat, a fat arrow that's referred to as a fat arrow x fat arrow x plus 10 and then console log the x yeah. but what would that print Oh, ten. that would an error. Sure, that would yeah, that would, that would print an error. <laughs> X undefi undefined X. Nan. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, so they look they look fairly similar, really, don't? They? Yeah. So I imagine there might be it might be interesting to see your take on functional programming from a Python perspective when we get to that. But yeah, yeah. that that is yeah a lambda function, anonymous function, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that's as far as the mathematical connection goes from my perspective as someone who does this most of the time like i'm not really using the maths side of it it's mm -hmm. just a concept that exists um do you think that's and we've had this probably had this discussion before but do you think that's more a case of because of the type of work you're doing you're not 
coming across those sorts of things as much. I mean, the, I pick my projects, don't I? So I probably pick things <laughs> that aren't as mathematically involved, perhaps. Um, but especially when I was getting involved in creating graphs and things, using matplotlib and things, that's when it gets more mathematical and you have to worry about x-axes and y-axes, which are simple things, but still involve a base level of mathematics. Yeah, I think knowing how to sort of map and reduce values is essentially math their mathematical functions. And then to calculate like coordinates, like using sines and cosines and tangents and all that kind of stuff. Like basic geometry comes in a lot, particularly when you're doing SVG stuff or something with Canvas in the web scenario or doing OpenGL, WebGL kind of like 3D structures. Um, so that comes in a bit, yeah. And you say basic there. <laughs> you lost me at cosines and sines. I, I, <laughs> I, I can't remember what those are. I'm, I'm sure I did them at school, but they're the sort of thing that I've never used since. So yeah. I've just they've gone. <laughs> yeah. To know how to plot radians on a on a graph, for instance, if you're doing anything that involves circle, you're going to be having yeah, you're going to be using trigonomet basic trigonometry and mm. like calculating the sine function of, of various things. And when I was learning about uh, big O notation, that's that kind of felt quite mathy in like the order of n or order of n squared or order of n log n like log logarithmic like you i guess there are certain things that you need mm. to learn but you don't need to go and take a course in maths you just need to when you come across something that is particularly mathematical then you can just learn about that certain section of it without having to go off and do an a level in it <laughs> yeah i think but that's the same i think that i think that's true of all programming concepts i think you you do it until you can't do it anymore and then you learn about the bits that you can't do until you can do them and that's how you progress and i think that's how a lot of self-taught developers have have got into the positions that they're in um and like i've said i think i've said before that my experience uh, work-wise i've worked with mostly i think a 50 50 mix of self-taught and computer science grads they come at problems sometimes from different angles but i don't think ever, i've never once thought oh so-and-so has come up with that solution because they're really good at maths. Hmm. That is, that's something we've got, I've got written down in the show notes here, actually. Um, it's a good way of maybe approaching problems. And I think I wrote this a long time ago, <laughs> so I can't remember 100% what I meant. But I think when I was working through the problems in the maths course that I was doing, it's that logical way of working through a problem, starting at the beginning, taking a, a small step at a time, without trying to rush through things. Hmm. I think that's a good way of approaching problems in coding as well. Yeah, it's the logic behind it that is the mm. important thing to know. And it's also, they're, they're similar kind of problem spaces, aren't they? Because in maths, numbers are numbers. You can't change a number and you put an equation together in a way it's only ever going to work that way. Um, a computer's only ever going to do what you tell it to do. Code is not as... It's not like you're translating Latin and there's a lot of leeway for interpretation. It just does what you tell it to do exactly how you tell it to do it which is kind of similar in its outlook so i think if you if that kind of approach that logical analytical approach appeals then you're probably likely to be drawn to maths just as much as you are to programming but i don't necessarily think you need to have both together it's just they both appeal to the same type of mind yes i, I can i agree with you there. they're not mutually exclusive but they do go well together or yeah yeah, um, but then that flies... I mean, I was in preparation for this episode. I read a, a very interesting article by Sarah May. Or Sarah Me? Sarah May. Um, where she says programming is not math or maths. Um, and her argument was that p 
programming is more like more akin to language than it is to maths and that there's lots of logic and syntax and putting things together but that's just the same you have those aspects in linguistics as well and that really you shouldn't be dissuading people is like the divide between oh you're sort of logical and you're more into kind of humanities bent that kind of divide shouldn't exist and that someone who is into humanities and into is into language in a really big way might get on really well with programming because it is just very precise language mm. and it's a very logical way of thinking about things and doing things yeah and and learning it as well so if you have an aptitude for learning languages of like french or german or italian or whatever um you're as, a, as opposed to haskell or javascript or <laughs> python or anything um if you can learn like language languages you're going to have a good time learning programming languages because it's grammar and syntax it's more there's more of a parallel between learning a language than there is between learning how to do mathematics I, just, I don't know if I agree with that. I, no, yeah. I mean the, this, I, it was a new a new opinion to me. I read it and it sounded interesting. I'm not. Yeah. So I I am I'm terrible at learning languages, but have been able to pick up learning programming languages fairly quickly. I don't think learning Python is not the same as learning Italian. <laughs> it, I just don't, I don't feel like it's the same. <laughs> no, not, I would have I would have a much better time learning python than i did trying to learn italian for my last holiday it was, yeah it was exactly embarrassing yeah, yeah i don't have just... an aptitude for that at all and yeah i seem to <laughs> seem to have some kind of aptitude towards programming yeah yeah so there's some yeah, the anecdotal evidence is stacking up against this theory <laughs> at the moment but yeah i don't think but i don't think you should, you should necessarily have to come down one side or the other you don't have to say programming is not math or programming is language i think it's more like lots of different things coming in together i don't think it's I don't think we can say it's like this or it's like this. It, it is a mixture of all these things. And obviously, if you're good at learning a language, then you're good at picking things up quickly. So it might just be a fact that you're good at learning as opposed to an, having an aptitude for doing a certain programming. You might be you'd be good at anything that you pick up if you're good at learning things. No, that sounds like a, a, yeah, a logical answer. But it, it certainly is a more multifaceted kind of scenario isn't it yeah and you get the creative element and the art artistic and there's so many so many elements to well there's so many elements to everything really isn't there apart from maths because there's just one answer <laughs> yeah well i think coming having come from yeah coming coming from design artistic music background i'm, I'm often surprised at how much of my creative itches are scratched by doing programming work even though like you say it's, it's analytical and there is a right and wrong answer in most scenarios um but there isn't when you're creating a project. When I'm working on my project, I can think, oh, no, right, that's true, how, can yeah. I, how can I work on this now? Maybe if you've been given a task to do by your boss or whatever, mm. then it becomes less creative. But every problem has a, a thousand ways to solve it, doesn't it? There's, there's so many different ways. I, mm. I learned this, and you're going to enjoy what I mentioned next. I learned this from exorcism <laughs> when I was mentoring <laughs> the problem, a problem, and there's a hundred different ways... And every way, well, not every way, surprise you, you get to see the same sort of things, but there are a lot of different ways. And people's minds work in lots of different ways that leads them to things a different way. So I think there is that creative element and that being able to put your own flair into things. And I don't know if it's quite at the point where you could sit down and go, oh, I know who wrote that code based on how it looks. But I could certainly probably recognize developers I've worked with in the past based on their code. Do you do it, considering a language is so constrained, it's, um, it is surprising how much personality can creep in. Um, 
But I, I, a disclaimer, I haven't read read this article, so I'm not... Yeah, I think that little quote I put in summarises it up. But, um, so the quote I've put in is just a little, a little abstract from a little extract from the from the piece and it's that programming is language and specifically learning to programming but specifically learning to program is more like learning a new language than it is like doing math problems and the experience of programming today in our industry is more about language than it is about maths <laughs> also written uh five five years ago <laughs> yeah and still still feels relevant but yeah um but yeah i totally take your, your point there that doesn't that kind of flies in the face of our experiences and um but yeah it's probably a correlation more than a causation like you pointed out mm. but so is this one of the unusual questions where there is a definitive answer then can we say can we just say no you don't need to be good at maths to become a programmer it depends if, <laughs> every it depends. time if 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 you're going to be a data scientist for example then i imagine maths is going to be extremely important to you in a lot of the work you do it's. It depends what sector of programming you go into, don't you? Because mm-hmm. it's so wide and so varied. But I would say for the majority of people or programmers just starting out self-taught, they just want to create some websites or web apps or just build a little bit of software that isn't directly connected to the science maths world, then you, then you probably don't need it. Would you agree with that? I think I probably would. Yeah. And I'd also, but I would say as a corollary, maybe, so we're saying that you you don't need maths to become a programmer, but there are certain aspects of programming where maths helps. I also think it's probably likely that if you're the sort of person that looks at like algebra, for instance, and just your mind turns to jelly and you hate it, there's probably a strong chance you're not going to get on well with programming because a lot of that is like variables and storing a bit of data and then using it somewhere else. Is very tied, very closely tied to like com- al- algebraic concepts. I think, and yeah, and with, like we said earlier, the way of thinking. Mm. And then this is why I think now it's not like a language because just the way it's written is not. It's not the sort of you don't get a fluent sentence in it. Essentially, do you? you're you're working with bits of data at the end of the day, mm. and then you're doing things with those data and moving them around. I- ah, but the best code should tell a story and feel like it is. You are getting fluid sentences if it's written beautifully and perfectly blah 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 i, I, I yeah, disagree yeah yeah <laughs> i yeah i can it can be nice to look at and mm-hmm. can read well that's my measure of good code is it reads well it's clear to understand and you can follow yeah. it along and a, a part of that is there is a sense of of narrative that creeps in um you need to but know yeah. what how it all ties together you need to know how it works but you're not you're not, <laughs> you're not telling a story it's uh, i I disagree. I, I imagine yeah, okay. my mind could change on this. I'm not against it, but that's maybe that's my, the the side I'm coming from. Is I've in my head at the moment. I've got all these SQL databases and mm-hmm. working with lots of bits of data. So I, maybe I'm just I'm not not like you, Tom. You know, JavaScript and H. What's HTML? <laughs> no, I do know what HTML. <laughs> that's what I have to say to that. No. Yeah. Right, so we could say that. No, you don't need maths, but it helps. And if you're not very good at maths, you might not be very good at programming. But don't let that put you off. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, I would hate to like, be thought of as like trying to gatekeep in any way. Oh, okay, so yeah, I think I could think I could stick with no as an answer. I'm, I think we should pin our colours to the mast and actually have an have an answer for one of these questions once. <laughs> after twenty five episodes, as a treat to ourselves, we should actually answer the question. 
<laughs> well, I th- just think it depends. Oh, okay. Mm. <laughs> Save it for another time. Then. You, you go with no. I'll go with it. <laughs> and the listeners can make their own minds up. Anything to report this week, Tom? Um, no, I'm waiting for uh, an API to, to look at. Um, <laughs> letting ideas percolate in my mind about how the front end's going to look, but until I've got the data, that's all moot. Um, I did I did, I did, did work on something, because I had... Did you did you read my... I think you ignored my messages on this. Oh, some, something about... Oh, yeah, you asked if I'd worked out those the percentages that I had were actually using real data, and they were not. They were completely intuitive guesses. Okay, because yeah. I tried... <laughs> I tried working out how to get those percentages. So what the percentages we're talking about are the difference. Like, so we've got... This is relevant to... Oh, this is relevant to this episode. Sorry, yeah. carry on. Oh, so here we go. <laughs> yeah. So three-day, three day, two-day, and one-day forecast. Like how much do they differ? Can we calculate a difference? Um, so I worked out... And this is where I should have carried on doing the maths because I, I got extremely confused. And I asked Jess, my uh, girlfriend, who has done lots of science about it as well... Um, so I worked out the variance of... So I used the, the library NumPy, which is Python's mm-hmm. kind of mathematical library. And then it's got the variance. So this is where I was getting confused. So yeah. we've got, so we got three... I just worked with three days. So I just went with highest temperature. Mm-hmm. What's the variance between them? And then kind of got... An, uh, I, it seemed like a random number. It was like 20.222 recurring. Oh, okay. So I, but I don't know if that's a... bit. And then I was trying to look up, is that a percentage? And then I figured, no, it's not. And then I thought, well, we didn't actually need to work out the variance of those three because we're actually comparing the second two numbers to the first number. So then I went down another rabbit hole of trying to work out all these things and ended up just walking away. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a file somewhere. Let me see if I can find it. I have a file with lots of different uh, bits of information in where I was trying to work on this. And I thought, we don't even need to... You don't even need to come up with these things. In terms of the stand-up, then, this is the message I sent you, which I was talking about how we were getting worried about storing such a large amount of data. And I was saying, we don't need to store... Or we don't need to store that much data. We just need to store three days, the last three days, plus the current percentage for that location. Mm-hmm. It's not so much the size of the data set that we're collecting that worries me. It's the the I.O. of actually getting it. Like, or how many connections are we going to have to open to get for different... Po- oh, do you have to do one for every postcode in the UK if we want everything? That's more my concern, is like the actual gathering of it rather than the storing it. Mm. 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 Yeah, but you've been doing some useful stuff with Postgres, it sounds like. Yes, in uh, not working on the weather app, I will admit. But no, It's tangential, um, it's fine. It's all the, yeah. the same direction. Um, just working on a... I've finished... <laughs> I say finished... Databases are never finished, are they? Um, I've finished working mostly on my database for my RugMe website. So I will hopefully within the... I just think... I just want a day. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I just want a full yeah, day. Thing, I, just, like, yeah. I get an hour here and there. Yeah. In the I did 40 minutes. I got up at 5.50 this morning, did 40 minutes, and got it to a stage where it was actually working. I couldn't believe it. Oh, amazing. <laughs> I wasn't stuck halfway through a problem. So, yes, it's the models there. I've worked out how to make sure there's there's no redundant data. Yeah, there are tests to make sure, or not tests, not official tests, but you can't add in more data than you should be able to. Check, checks. Checks, yes, makes more sense. I just need to add in the date for the rounds, and then I need to, the easy part of getting it live. Yeah, that's the thing I'm excited about, <laughs> because then I can, I can then query your 
endpoints and do something with it. Chart it. Well, you can query my endpoints at the moment. Yeah. There is a there is an endpoint for all the data. Ah, fantastic. I might not play with that. Just well. for the current week's data. <laughs> Yeah. Or the latest data. Okay. Um, and if anyone out there is in the Cornwall area and is hiring Python developers or just enthusiastic developers willing to learn another language, then get in touch with Ed because he is looking for work, finally. He's actually open, taken the plunge. Open for work, yes. Yes. Not just open, actively seeking. Actively seeking, yes. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll come back, come to that in future episodes. I have only applied to one job so far. <laughs> yeah, but you only, you've only really known for a couple of days, like exactly what your plans were going to be so yes i think that's fair enough and that time has been cv prep and cover letters my cv's all finished so yeah hopefully your cv finished i don't know no never finished but hopefully your spreadsheet will look more healthy next week yes i have kept it updated (laughs) Ah, and with that then we will catch you next time to maybe talk about functional programming maybe whatever else takes our fancy (laughs) let's hold ourselves to it functional programming there you go there's a definitive answer for you tom next week will be functional programming (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening make sure to check us out at aqo code on twitter and check out our website at aqoc.dev thanks a lot bye was that right was that the right website i never know aqoc.dev is that what you said yeah that's what i said that's right excellent right bye (laughs) (laughs) oh dear